Chapter 12. The Kicking Glass of Azard. Yule was coming. All morning in mid-December, Hogwarts wakened to find itself happened in snow. The lock froze, solid, and the Weasley twins got their pikes for begumming some snowballs so that the ball quell around, stroking off the back of the turbine. The few hoolets that managed to affect their way through the stormy lift to deliver a post had to be nursed back to help a Hagrid before they could play again. Nobody could wait for their holidays to start. While the Gryffindor common room in the Great Hall had roaring fires, the drafty quarters had come uh, icy in the snow, snow wood rattled in the windows in the classrooms. Worst of all were Professor Snipes' classes down in the dungeons, where their breath rose in a mist before them, and they kept it as close as possible to the cold cauldrons. I feel so awfully sorry, said Draco Malfoy during a potion's class. For although folk were had to stay at, her, at Hogwarts or, or a year because nobody wants them at home. He was looking all at Harry as he spoke. Covered and girls cuckled. Harry well, was mes- measuring out powdered spine of a lionfish, just ignored them. Morpher had been even more coarse than usual since the buzzing ball game. Scudded that the Slytherins had lost, he had tried to get out of the Laughing at through the muckled smooth tree product would be play placing Harry as circuit next. Then he'd realize that nobody found this funny because they were all so impressed by the way Harry had managed to stay in the buck and brother. See, Malfoy, jealous and angered, had gone back to flighting Harry about not having a proper family. It was true that Harry wasn't going to back to private loan for Yule. Professor McGonagall had come around a wound the week before and making a leech of students who would be staying for the holidays and Harry had signed up at once. He didn't feel sorry for himself at all. This would probably be the best Yule he'd ever had. Ron and his brothers were staying as well because Mr. and Mrs. Weasley were gone to Romania to visit Charlie. They spelled Charlie wrong, too. It sounds like Charlie. When they left... Or it's spelled like Charlie. When they left the dungeons at the end of potions, they found a muckle to, for tree stop in the cord I hid. Twa on Demus feet, sticking out in the... In Demus instead of in Norman. Okay. At the bottom on a load, picking sound, told them that Hagrid was a hittent. Ha... Hagrid needed a hand. Ron spired, sticking his head through the branches. Nah, I'm all right. Thanks, Ron. Would you mind getting out of my road? Came Malfoy's cold draw fire ahint them. Are you trying to make some extra silly Weasley? Hoping to be gamekeeper yourself when you Lee Hogwarts the adult. That both of Hogwarts must seem like a palace compared to what your family's used to. Ron huckled Malfoy just as Snipe came up to the stairs. Weasley? Ron loused his grip on the front of Malfoy's gown. He was perverse, Professor Snipe, said Hagrid, sticking his muckle hairy face out far ahead ahead the tree. Malfoy was insulting his family. Maybe he was, but fiction is the best 
Hogwarts World, Hagrid, said Snipe, slickily. Five points for Gryffindor, Grizzly, and be grateful it wasn't more. Now where you go, are you? Muffet, Crab, and Nicole pushed Rockley past the tree, scaling needles always and smirking. I'll get him, said Ron, shaking his knife at Malfoy's back. One of these days, I'll get him. I hate them both, said Harry. Malfoy and Snipe. Come on, cheer up. It's nearly cool, said Hagrid. Tell you what. Come with me and see the great hall. It looks bra. <laughs> so the three of them, the three of them, the three of them, like, is Hermione just like, she, she, she's not there. Okay. I don't know. Is a tree following him? Alright. Uh, followed Hagrid in the tree off uh, to the Great Hall, where um, Professor McGonagall and Professor Flitwick were busy with the Yule decorations. Uh, Hagrid, the list tree. Put in the four neck, would ya? The hall looks spectacular. Wigma Leary's, Ulhari, and Mistletoe hung all around the walls, and now less than whole Tall, towering yule trees stood around the room, some skittling with ice struggles, some glistening with hunters of Connell. Who money days you got to left till your hundred days? Hagrid fired. <laughs> what that was? Okay, sorry. Gisian, said Hermione, and that reminds me, Harry Ron, we've got half an hour before uh, for dinner. We should be in the library. Oh, yeah, right, said Ron, tearing his eye in a way for Professor Fritwick, who had, had golden, golden bubbles coming out of his wand and was slitting them off from the branches on the tree. The library, said Hagrid, throwing them out on the hall. Just for the holidays, bikini. Oof, we're not working, Harry told him brightly. Ever since you mentioned Nicholas Flamel, we've been trying to find out about he is. You would? Hagrid was shocked. Listen here. I've told you, drop it. It's none of your business with the dog's garden. We just want to keen what Nicholas Flamel is, that's all, said Hermione. Unless you'd like to tell us and save us the trouble. The trouble, <laughs> Harry added. We must have, have been through hundreds of books already and we cannot find him in our way. Just get us a hint. I can I've seen read his name as somewhere. I didn't say nothing. Said Hagrid Thorley. Thornley. Just have to find out for ourselves then, said Ron, and they left Hagrid looking scunnered and hurried off to the library. They had indeed been searching books for Flamel's name ever since Hagrid had let it slip out, because who all were they going to find out what Snipe was trying to chore? Trying to chore. The trouble was, it was awfully hard to keen where to start. Now, kidding what Flamel might have done to get himself into the book. He wasn't in great works in the 20th century or noble magical names of our time. He was missing to, for important modern magical discoveries and a study of distant recent developments in Warlocky. And then, of course, there was the sheer, sheer size of the library. Tens of thousands of books, thousands of shelves, hundreds of narrows. 
Hermione taken out a loot on subjects entitled she had decided to search while Ron stomped, stomped off down a row of books and started pointing them off the shelves at random. Pouring them off the shelves at random. Harry drawn over to the restrictive session. He had been wondering for a while if Flamel was in somewhere in there. Fortunately, you need to especially sign out for one of the demonies to look in any other restricted books. And he can't, he'd never get one. There was books containing powerful dark magic. Never teach it, never teach it at Hogwarts. And only read by Alderson to study in defense, defense against the Dorcas. What you're looking for, boy? Nothing, said Harry. Madame Pence, the librarian, brandished a story duster at him. Then you better get out. Go on out. Wishing he'd been a bit smarter at thinking up some story, Harry left the library. He, Ron, and Hermione hadn't already agreed they'd better not spire Professor Madame Pence where they could find Flamel. They were sure she'd be able to tell them, but they couldn't risk Snipe hearing what they were up to. Harry wanted outside the corridor to see if uh, the other tool had phoned anything, but he wasn't awfully hopeful. They had been looking for two weeks, after all, but as they only had old moments between lessons, it wasn't surprising they'd found nothing. What they really needed was a good long search without Madame Pins breathing down their necks. Five minutes later, Han and Hermione joined them, him shaking their hoods. They're gone off for the dinner. Yeah, we'll keep looking while I'm away, we'll, well, you know, said Hermione. And send me a hula if you find anything. And you keep spying your parents if they can with Melis, said Ron. It'd be safe to spire them. Uh, awfully safe. They're both dentists, said Hermione. Once the holidays had started, Ron and Harry were having overbra a time to think muckle about for months. They had the dormitory to themselves and the common room was far emptier than usual, so they were to able to get the good armchairs by the fire. They sat for hour, hours, scrounging anything they could jag onto the end of a toasting fork, bread, muffins, marshmallows and plotting ways of getting Malfoy expelled, which was fun to talk about, even if they wouldn't work. Ron started learning Harry Warlock class to... This was exactly like Muggle Checks, except that the figures were alive, which made it look like ordering a soldier's boat in the battle. Ron's set was awfully old and battered. Like anything else he owned, it was a hand-me-down for somebody else in the family, in his case, his grandfather. However, who never, who never, there was nothing wrong with the old chessmen. Ron kept them so well he never had trouble getting them to do what he wanted. Harry played with chessmen, Seamus Finnegan had given him on Lilo, and didn't trust, and they didn't trust him at all. He wasn't an awfully good player yet, and they kept shouting different bits of advice at him, which was confusing. Didn't send me there, did you? Now see his neck at night. Send him. It doesn't matter if you listen. On the night before Yule, Harry got to bed, looking forward to the next day for the scrum of the fun. 
but not expecting all in the presence of the when he wakened early in the morning, however, he, the first thing he saw was a wee pile of pokes on the fit on his bed. Good yule, said Ron sleepily, as Harry scrambled out in the bed and pulled on his dressing gown. You are no, will you, said Harry. Will you look at this? I've got some presents. What were you expecting, Nips? said Ron, turning to his own pile, which was a lot more muckle than Harry's. Harry picked up a top parcel. It was wrapped in thick brown paper and scribbled across it was to Harry for Hagrid. Inside was a rocket wooden flute. Hagrid had obviously whittled it himself. Harry blew it. It sounded a little bit like a hulet. A second old flavor wee parcel contained a note. We have saved your message and enclosed your Yule present for Uncle Fern and Aunt Petunia. Tapped to the note was a 50 pence piece. That's gay friendly, said Harry. Ron couldn't take his oin off the fifty pence. Strange, he said. What a shape. This is silly. You can have it, said Harry, touching at who pleased Ron was. Hagrid and my auntie and uncle. So what's in these? I think I know can what that one's for, said Ron, turning a bit pink and pointing to an awfully lumpy parcel. Mama, I told her that I didn't expect all the presents and, uh, Ugh, oh, no, he groaned. She's made here a weasley with Gonzi. Harry had arrived, opened the parcel to find a thick, hard-knitted gazin emerald green and a muckle box of homemade fudge. Every year she makes us a Gonzi, said Ron. <laughs> I can't see. <laughs> That's such an awesome word. Okay, uh, said Ron, unwrapping his account aim. And mine's is always maroon. That's awfully good of her, said Ron, trying out the fudge, which was gay tasty. His next present for sweets and all, a muckle box of chocolate products for Hermione. This left only one parcel. Harry picked it up and felt it in his hand. It was awfully light. He unwrapped it. Something fluid and silvery, grey, gayed, slithering to the floor, oh, where it lay in lemon folds. Harry gulped. I've heard of those. He said in a wheeze voice, dropping the box of every flavor of beans he got for Hermione. If that's what I think it is, they're awfully rare and awfully valuable. What is it? Harry picked the seeming silly cloak off the floor. It was uncool to the touch, like water woven into the material. It's invisibility cloak, said Ron, a look of awe on his face. I'm sure it is. Put it on. Harry flung the cloak around his shoulders and Ron guided a hole. It is! Look down! Harry looked down at the feet, but they weren't there. He gnashed to the kicking glass. Right enough, his affliction kicked back at him, just his head hanging in midair, his body completely invisible. He put the cloak over his head and his affliction vanished completely. There's a note, said Ron suddenly. A note fell out of it. Harry poured off the cloak and seized the letter. Written in noy, Luby written. He had never seen a four were the following words. Your father left this in my position afore he died. It is time it was returned to you. Use it well. A guide you'll tell ye. There was no signature. Harry stared at the note. Ron was admiring the cloak. I get anything for one of these. He said, Anything. What's the matter? Nothing, said Harry. 
He didn't feel right. What had sent the cloak had really once belonged to his father. Before he could say or think anything else, the dormitory door was flung open, threatening Geordie Weasley, boarded in. Harry stopped the cloak quickly out of sight. He didn't feel like sharing it to anybody else just yet. Good Joel. Ha ha, look, Harry's got a Weasley Gonzi in the Fred and Jordy were wearing blue Gonzies, on with a muckle fella F on it, the other with a muckle yellow G. Harry's is better than O's, though, said Fred, handing up Harry's Gonzi. She obviously makes more on effort if you're in our family. Why are you not wearing yours wrong? Jordy demanded. Come on, pitch it on. They're wrong, not wrong. I cannot throw... I cannot throw maroon, Ron moaned half-heartedly as he poured it over his head. You haven't got a letter on yours, Geordie observed. I suppose she thinks you didn't forget your name, but you're, we're not stupid. We can't recall Gruden 40. <laughs> What's all the, this noise? Percy Weasley stuck his head through the door, looking disapprovingly. He had clearly got halfway through unwrapping his presents as he carried a lumpy gonzi over his arm, and all, which Harry, which Fred, took, taken off him. P for prefect. Put it on, Percy. Come on. We're all wearing those. Even Harry got one. I didn't want, said Percy thickly, as the twins forced the gonzi over his head, knocking his glasses a skint, a squint, a squint. And you're not sitting with the prefects today, either, said Jordy. Yule, it's time for family. They Oxtered Percy for the room, his arms peened to his side by the his Gansey. Harry had never in all his life had such sick a Yuletide dinner. A hundred fat, to- roasted bubble, bubbly jocks, mono roasted and biled tatties, platters of chipolates, turrets of buttered peas, silver boats of thick, rich gravy and cranberry sauce and bangs of warlock crackers for every few feet along the table. These fantouche party favors were nothing like the pure muggle ones that the Dursleys usually bought with their wee plastic toys and their fortery paper hats inside. Harry pulled a warlock cracker with Fred, and it didn't just bang. It guided off a blast like a cannon and smoothed them on the cold and blue week, while for the inside at rear Admiral's hat and several slave white mice fell out. Up at the high table, double Dumby Dykes had ra- swapped this pointed burlax hat for a flurry bonnet and was kickling bustledly at the joke Professor Flickwood had just read it to him. Blizzum, blizzling Yule puddings full of the bub- bubbly jock. Personally, nearly broke his tall front teeth on a silver hulk and been on the slice. Harry watched Hagrid getting more and more red in the face as he called him for more wine. Finally kissed Professor McGonagall on the cheek, while, to Harry's amazement, giggled and blushed to top her tap hat scooffed. <laughs> when Harry finally left the table, he was blown and down with hundreds of things on the crackers, including a pack of non-explodable luminous balloons, a gone-your-own-warts kit, and his own new warlock chest set. The white mice had disappeared apparent, and Harry had a nasty feeling they were going to end up as Mrs. Norris's Yule dinner. Harry and the Weasley spent a happy afternoon 
having a range snowball fight in the grounds. Then cold waits and gulping for breath, they returned to the fire in the Gryffindor common room, where Harry broke in the new chess set by losing spectacularly to Rung. He suspected he, in, he wouldn't have lost so badly if Percy hadn't tried to help him see Buckle. <laughs> so, so Ron's better at chess than Percy. That's kind of funny. So, like, Ron's smarter than people think, think he is. Like, chess is a strategy, man. I don't know. After a meal of bubbly, especially since he's 11. Like, you would think if he gets help from Percy, who is older than Fred and George. And Fred and George are probably, what, in third year right now? Fourth year? So he's, and he's a prefect, so he's, like, sixth or seventh year. So a 16 or 17-year-old is not helping an 11-year-old beat another 11-year-old. Ron's really good at chess. Um, After Mila Bubbler Jock pieces, crumpets, truffle, and yule cake, already fell overstopped and sleepy to the knuckle for bed apart for a sit and watch Percy chase Fred and Geordie all over Tryffindor Tower because they toured his prefix budge. Had been Harry's best jewel day ever. Yet something had been chattering in the back of his mind all day. Not until he slimmed into bed did he have time to think about it. The invisibility cloak and whatever had sent it. Ron stretched with Buttle Jock. What is Buttle Jock? Bumbly Jock. I don't. And cake. And with nothing mysterious to bother him, fell asleep a mice. As soon as he drawn the curtains on his four posta, Harry leaned over the side of the own bread and poured the cloak over under him. His father's. This had been his father's. He let the material flow over his horns. More skillet than silk, light as air. Use it will, the note had said. He had to try it, no. He slipped it out on bed and happened the cloak around himself. Looking down on his legs, he saw only muck light and shadows. It was an uncomfortable feeling. Use it will. Suddenly, Harry felt wide awake. The hall of Hogwarts was open to him on the cloak. In his cloak. Excitement floated through him as he stood there in the dark in silence. He could gang anywhere in this, anywhere, and features would never know keen. Ron giggled in his giggled in his sleep. G- giggled so snored? Or giggled. Giggled. Okay. Should Harry walk at him? Something held him back. His father's cloak. He felt that this time, the first time, he wanted to use it alone. He crept it over to the dormitory, down the stairs, across the common room, and slimming through the portrait hole. Was there? Squawked the fat lady. Harry said nothing. He walked quickly down the corridor. Where should he go? He slapped his hurt student and thought, and then it came to him. The researcher sat in the library. He'd be able to read as long as he liked, as long as it would take to find out what Flamel was. He set off. Drawing the visibility cloak tight around him as he walked. The library was pit marked and gay, very eerie. 
Harry lit a lamp to see his way along the roll of books. The lamp looked as if it was floating hung in midair, and even though Harry could feel his own supporting it, the sight gave him the cold creeps. The restricted section was right in the back of the library. Stepping calmly over the rope that separated the books for the rest of the library, he held up his lamp to read the titles. They didn't tell the muckle. Their peeling, faded gold, gold letters spelled out words and leads Harry couldn't understand. Somehow, now titled all, um, one book had a dark stain on it that looked awfully like blood. The hairs on the back of Harry's neck kickled. Maybe he had imagined it, maybe not, but he thought a purring whispering was coming for the books. As though they can't, somebody was there that shouldn't be. He had to start somewhere. I don't understand, like, later, why doesn't he just... Maybe he does. Maybe I'm just... Never mind, okay. Setting the lamp down kindly on the floor, he looked around the bottom shelf, the interested-looking book. A muckle book and silver volume caught his eye. He poured it out with difficulty because it was gay-heavy, and balancing on his nap, let it fall open. A piercing, frightening screech revived the silence. The book was scurling. Harry snapped it shut, but the screech gayed on and on, and one long, unbroken, low, darling note. He stumbled back on... No, he stumbled backwards. Backwards? He stumbled backwards and knocked over his lump. Which got out at once. Panicking, he heard footsteps coming down in the corridor outside. Stuffing the strengthened book back on the shelf, he bolted. He passed Fitch's in the doorway. Fitch's peely wally, wilding, looking, looked straight through him. And Harry slipped under Fitch's outstretched arm and gnashed off at the corridor. The book squirrels still dimming in his lugs. He came to a sudden stop in the front of a tall suit of armor. He had been so busy getting all away for the library, he hadn't paid attention to where he was going. Maybe because it was dark, he didn't recognize where he was at all. There was a suit of armor near the kitchens. He can't, but he must be five floors above them. You tell me to come directly to you, Professor, if anybody was wandering around that night. Somebody's been in their library. Restricted session. Harry felt the blood stripe out on his face. Wherever he was, Features must have taken a shortcut because his soft, crisply voice was going near and to his horror, it was Snipe that would play. The restricted section? Well, they cannot be far. We'll catch them. Harry stood thrilled to the spot as Features and Snipe came around the corner he had. They couldn't see in a course. But it was a Quarter, and they came only near. They knock right into him. The cloak didn't stop them from being stop him from being solid. He backed away as quiet as he could. A door stood ajar to his left. It was his only hope. He squeezed through it, holding his breath, trying not to move it. And to his relief, he managed to get in the bedroom without their noticing anything. They walked straight past. And Harry learned against the wall. Taking deep breaths, listening to the footsteps that didn't away. 
They had been close, gay close. It was a few seconds before he noticed anything about the room he had hidden in. It looked like a dis disused classroom. The dark shapes of desks and chairs were piled against the walls, and there was an upturned waste bas paper basket. But leaning against the wall, facing him, was something that didn't look as it belonged there. Something that looked as if somebody had just put it there to keep it out of the way. It was a magnificent Keegan glass, as high as the ceiling, with an ornate gold frame, standing on two tool cloaks for freight. There was an inscription curved around the top. Ezra Star Tube Kaf Yin Washi Lutsi. His panic fading know that there was no sound of fishes and safes and moved to the kicking glass, wanting to look at himself, but seeing no reflection again. He stepped in front of it. He had to clap his hands to his mouth to stop himself from screaming. He curled around. His heart was pounding for more fiercely than he, the book had scourged, for he had seen not only himself in the kicking glass, but a half, whole crowd of folks standing right ahead of him. But the room was, was torn. Breathing gay fast, he turned slowly back to the kicking glass. There he was, reflected in it, white and feared looking, and there, reflected behind him, were at least ten others. Harry kicked o over his shoulder, but still nobody was there. Or were they in all invisible now? What was he in fact in a room with an all visible folk? And this kicking glass trick was that it reflected them invisible no? He looked at the kicking glass again. A woman standing right ahead to his reflection was smiling at him and waving. He rocked out to hand and felt the air hint him. If she was really there, he'd touch her. And the reflections were that close together, but he felt only air. She and the others existed only in the kicking glass. She was an awfully bony woman. She had dark red hair and her eyes her are just like mine, Harry thought edging a bitty closer to the glass, bright green, exactly the same shape. And then he noticed that she was greeting, smiling, but greeting at the same time. So, crying? Greeting is crying, right? I think they said that was crying. Um, the tall, thin, black-haired man standing next to her put his arm around her. He wore glasses and his hair was gay tossel. It stuck up the back just as Harry's did. Harry was so close to the kick glass now that his neb was near touching that on his reflection. Mother, he whispered. Father? They just looked at him, smiling, and slowly Harry looked into the faces of the other folk in the kicking glass and saw every pair of green eyes like his, other nebs like his, even a wee old Monty well looked as though in Harry's knobbly naps. Harry was looking at his family for the first time in his life. The potter smiled and waved at Harry, and he walked hungrily back at them, his hands pressed flat against the glass as though he was hoping to fall right through it and rest them. He had a powerful kinna ache inside him, half joy, half dreadful rule. Too long he stood there, he didn't kin. The reflection didn't fade, and he looked and looked until a distant sound brought him back to his senses. He couldn't stay here. He had to find his way back to his bed. 
He tore his eye away for his mother's face, whispered, I'll come back, and hurry for the room. You could have waked me, said Ron, rapidly. You can come the night. I I gone back. I want to show you the kicking glass. I like to see your mom and dad, Ron said eagerly. And I want to see y'all your family, all the Weasleys. You'll be able to show me your other brothers and everybody. You can see them on an old time, said Ron. Just come around my house in the summer. Anyway, maybe it only shows dead folk. Shame about no finding Fumel, though. Have, have some bacon or something. Why are you not eating anything? Harry couldn't eat. He had seen his parents um, and would be seeing them again at the night. He had near forgot about Flamel. He didn't seem so important anymore. What carried, cared what the three-headed dog was going in? What did it matter if Snipe toward it? Are you all right? said Ron. You didn't look yourself. What Harry feared most was that he might not be able to find the kicking glass room again. With Ron having on the cloak, no and all, they had to walk far more slowly than the next night. They tried retracing Harry's route for the library, starting around the door passageway for near an hour. It's pure Baltic, said Ron. Let's get in a mess and get back. No, Harry hissed. I can it's here somewhere. They passed the ghost of a tall carlin skimmering in the opposite direction, but saw nobody else. Just as Ron started groaning on his feet were dead with cold, Harry spotted the suit armor. It's here, right here. I They pushed the door open. Harry dropped the cloak for around his shoulders and ran to the kicking glass. There they were. His mother and father beamed at the sight of him. See? Harry whispered. I cannot see anything. Look, look at them all. There's hundreds of them. I can only see you. Look at it right, gone, stunned where I am. Harry stepped aside, but with Ron in front of the kicking glass, he couldn't see his family anymore. Just Ron and his paisley of Jimmy's. Ron, though, was glowering, transfixed at his image. Look at me, he said. Can you see all your family standing around you? No, I'm alone, but I'm not. I'm different. I look older, and I'm a head boy. What? I am. I'm wearing the badge like Bill used to, and I'm haunting, ha- haunting the host Tassie and the bosom ball Tassie. I'm bosom ball captain as well. Ron rived his eye away for his previous nervous sight to look t- exactly at Harry. Do you think his kicking shows a feature? How can it? All my family are dead. Guns another look. You had it to yourself all last night. Give me a little bit more time. You're only haunting the bosom ball Tassie. What's interesting about that? I want to see my parents. Dinner push me. I send sound outside the corridor put a stop to their discussion. They hadn't realized how loud they had been talking. Quick, Ron flung the cloak back over them as the lindlers in of Mrs. Norris came round the door. Harry and Ron stood stone still, both thinking the same thing. Did the cloak work on the Baldrins? After what seemed an age, she turned and left. This in the safe. She might have gone for fitches. I bet yes, yeah, she heard us. Come on. And Harry pulled, Ron poured Harry out of the room. The snow still hadn't melted the next morning. Want to play chess, Harry? said Ron. No. Why don't we go 
no go down and visit Hagrid. No, you go on yourself. I can... What you're thinking about, Harry? That kicking glass. Dinner going back into the night. Oh, no. I don't can. I just had a bad feeling about it. And anyway, you've had all the more close shaves already. Fitches, Snipe, and Mrs. Norris are striving around. Say, what if you cannot see it? What if they walk into you? What if you cope something over? You sound like Hermione. I'm serious, Harry. Dinner gone. But Harry only had Yin thought in his head, which was to get back in front of the kicking glass, and Ron wasn't gonna stop him. That third night, he found his way more quickly than before. He was walking so fast he can't his. He was making more noise than his, than was wise, but he didn't feed anybody, and there were his mother and father smiling at him, again, and all his grandfather's nodding blithely. Harry sank down to sit on the floor in front of the kicking glass. There was nothing to stop him for staying there all night with his family. Nothing at all. A pot foot. Say, back again, Harry? Harry felt as though his ingons had turned to ice. He looked ahead him. Sitting on of the desk by the wall was none other than all the stummy dykes. Harry must have walked straight past him. Said desperate to get to the kicking glass, he hadn't noticed him. I, I didn't see you, sir. It's uncle who ne'er sighted being invisible can make you, said W. Dykes, and Harry was relieved to see that he was smiling. Say, said W. Dykes, <laughs> slipping off. <laughs> off the desk to sit on the floor with Harry. You, like hundreds for you, have discovered the delights of the kicking glass at Ezard. I didn't think it was called that, sir. But I expect you realize by now what it can do. It will, it shows me my family. And I showed your friend Ron himself as a head boy. How did you gain know? How did you can? I didn't need a cloak to become invisible, said Dumby Dyke softly. No, can you think what the kicking glass is, Ridge Charles, us all? Harry shook his head. Let me tell you. The happiest man on earth would be able to use the kicking glass as like a normal kicking glass. That is, he would look into it and see himself exactly as he is. Does that help you? Harry thought. Then he said slowly, it shows us what we want, whatever we want. I you know, said W. Dykes, dumb, quietly. It shows us nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desire of our hearts. You, one, never can his, your family, see them standing around you. Ronald Weasley, who has, who has always been in his brother's shadow, sees himself standing alone, the best of all of them. Who, who never, the cooking glass will gain us nothing, neither knowledge or truth. Men have wasted away for it. The glamour by what they had seen or been driven out of their mind. No kicking, not, no keening if what it shows is real or even possible. The king of glass will be flitted to a new home in the morrow, Harry. And I aspire, you know, to gain looking for it again. If you ever don't, 
ran across it, you will no be ready for it. It doesn't doesn't take the 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 it does not to it does it doesn't to dwell on dreams and forget to live mind that no why do you not put that bro cloak back on and get off to your bed Harry stood up sir professor dumpy dykes can I inspire you something Obviously, you already have. <laughs> w. Dick smiled. You might inspire me on more thing, however. What do you see when you look in the kitchen glass? Me? I see myself holding a pair of thick woolen socks. Her gulped. A body can never have enough socks, said Dumby Dykes. Another yule has come and gone, and I didn't get a single pair. Folk or you gone me books. It was only when he was back in bed that it struck Harry that Dummy Dykes might not have been quite truthful about wanting socks. The fact that it took him that long once he got into bed, like, come on. <laughs> but then, he thought, as he hinted scabbers off his pillow, it had been a, a gay nibbit question.